You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis of the Locked On Indians podcast, formerly of 24-7, formerly of scout formerly of indians baseball indians prospect insider and many other related websites back in the day in terms of the cleveland blogosphere let's talk about a win today we'll dive into the game i said this is one the indians should win i was on record as saying that they should really win the next four games really three out of four would be the only thing that would be acceptable but they got this one on the board today of course i also said that jake junis should be should be a relatively easy pitcher to uh, to attack because he just hasn't been good. And he's, you know, blue in everything through his career. And when I say blue in everything, it's when you go and you look at baseball savant data, it's showing that he's one of the 30, 30th or lower percentile. Basically what he does, he is in the bottom grouping. And what does he proceed to do? Uh, go out and pitch five innings, one hit, two walks, six strikeouts, uh, pretty much dominate the Indians. Uh, earlier in this year, when I talked with a, all the other um, podcasters in this division, I talked about one of the big things for me with the Indians was, you know, when you got Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber, you're always going to be competitive. Uh, they, in many regards, won this game. <laughs> yes, the bullpen was solid. Uh, you know, Whitgren, Class A, Karen Chalk came into a tough situation, gets a blown save. No earned runs. Um, not, you know, not ideal. It, with the runners on first and second, him, first guy in, he gives up the hit to tie it, and that's why Bieber does not pick up the win in this one. But going into the box score, I always like to point out the guys who reach base twice. And it kind of made a little bit of an internal debate. Now, does Jose Ramirez count as reaching base twice? I mean, I guess he touches all the bases, but he just kind of, you know, two hits, both home runs. So he never was like, he just made trips around the bases. Never never was actually on base. That, that was one of my thought processes in the middle of the game. Uh, who else was on base twice in this one? Josh Naylor, Jake Bowers. And that is your grouping in this game. Who didn't reach base at all? To get a look at the other side of things, to be Cesar Hernandez. Now, he did score a run, but I believe he's the only person who did not have a hit or a walk in this one for the Indians. Uh, did have two punch outs. Fran Mill had three, two for Roberto Perez. Shane Beaver, six and a third, three hits, four walks, 12 strikeouts, one home run. I've talked about it before. He is a bit home run prone. The entire starting staff is. It doesn't seem to be something that the Indians are worried or concerned about. It, it They don't necessarily want the home run guy coming out of the pen. In terms of their starters, uh, I would not be surprised if the five pitchers who have the highest uh, total game start by the end of the year all have home run rates over one. It's just not a concern. That's you know, it's You're going to give up home runs is the view. It's an interesting approach. Let's go into some of the kind of random stats in this one. The Shane Bieber... Uh, is his 14th consecutive start with eight or more strikeouts, the fifth longest streak in MLB history, and it matches a franchise record set by Corey Kluber in 2017. Uh, Corey Kluber and Randy Johnson had 14 games with eight or more strikeouts in a row. 
15 games with eight or more strikeouts in a row. You have Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez. Pedro had 16 and Randy had 17. So when you're looking at this list, it's Randy and Pedro appearing a lot, and then Bieber and Kluber, who got the jump in this one. This was the 17th multi-home uh, run game for Jose Ramirez. Uh, and then, let's see, also from it that Emmanuel Classe earned the win, tossing nine pitches at more than 100 miles an hour in the eighth. Uh, he has more triple-digit pitches in his last two appearances, 18, than all Cleveland pitchers had combined from 2008 until Monday. So that's right. Before his appearance, 12 years of pitching, the uh, he has he's now had more in two appearances, 18 pitches, over two innings than the Indians had over 12 years. He is, uh, you can see why the Indians were so focused in on him. That was the thing last year. If you went back and listened to my podcast, I didn't love the trade at the time because I thought they would get more than a reliever. Uh, and I don't know for sure, but I was told that like several teams felt that they had better offers on the table. But for the Indians, they just thought that someone like Class A is, is a player you can't find. Like That is a player that is extremely hard to get. And a hitting prospect can be good, but Class A is a unicorn that's why they liked him and that's what you're seeing so far in the early going he might eventually become the closer there's just something about having that guy back there who throws that hard you know and I don't even know if it's a real thing or not or if it's just something in my mind where that feels like a bit of an intimidation factor when you got a guy back there who's just going to come out and and be in the triple digits and also spotting his pitches and also have I believe it's a cutter that he had in the past to look like another potential plus offering Overall, it's a. Uh, I mean, he's fun. He's fun to watch. If you can, uh, you know, pull up the. Uh, if you're like me, and hopefully it's not too late to claim it, if you're with Sprint or T Mobile, they gave everyone MLB TV free, and you can always go back up. I mean, I have done this and pulled up the game films from games that have already occurred and just gone and looked at those points that I'm going to talk about or that I want to know for the show. So that's something else to, uh, to, you know, just some. Some advice, some fun that you can do when it comes to the uh, watching some of these Cleveland Indians games. I feel like there wasn't a whole lot else to talk about. Whitgren, first save of the year. Class A, threw it hard. Bieber, lots of strikeouts. Jose Ramirez, two home runs. It, I don't want to say it was a boring game, but there was a lot of not happening with the Indians until finally things happened. And hopefully they'll improve. It's my only concern so far, and it's early, and I'm not going to overinflate anything after, what, five games? Uh, that's silly. But they're facing bad pitching and making bad pitching look good. Hopefully this will improve. But we saw the same issue in 2019. Um, though at the time, that team had Carlos Santana absolutely on fire having his career year, and Jose Ramirez in probably the worst stretch of his career since he had became an everyday starter. So just pointing out those two points, because at least now they have Jose Ramirez on fire and everyone else having pretty horrible stretches in the early going. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things, again, it's a very small sample size, but how many hitters in this lineup are hitting below 200 in the early going? Uh, Not super encouraging, that is for sure. And I mean, Cesar Hernandez, the reason 
I don't like Ben Gamble leading off. I just, I don't. I don't like that there. Uh, it makes more sense to put Cesar Hernandez at uh, in the leadoff spot and kind of adjust this lineup, push Rosario or Fran Mill a little bit higher up. Getting more bats to your best hitters is always what you want to do. But because Cesar Hernandez doesn't feel comfortable hitting anywhere other than second, they're stuck in this situation. And it's kind of blows my mind that he... It doesn't blow my mind, I should say, because baseball players are so superstitious. And he had struggled with the Phillies towards the end of his career there. That's why he was let go. And then he had a really strong year for him in Cleveland. And he was hitting two. And he might feel like that is where he does his best work. And I assume it's a little bit of that kind of uh, superstition when it comes to him in that spot. But hopefully they'll figure things out again. You know, when it's a loop low, let blow... You don't mind it as much because he is good against lefties, but right now, five games in, almost a meeting, I mean, not almost, it is a meaningless sample size, but it, it's a lot of what we already knew. Jose Ramirez, Eddie Rosario, Fran Mill, and Naylor look to be the best bats on this team. You want to get those guys as many at-bats as possible. And having to put, just so you can have, like, your center, because center fielders are supposed to be fast, like, Ben Gamble's okay. It's not like he's a great center fielder. But having him lead off is just annoying. Uh, it's it's bad uh, lineup construction. And then you're forcing some of your better hitters further down the lineup. And I know things will change. But for now, that's, that's kind of my big gripe in the early going with the Cleveland Indians. I want to take a quick second and talk about Locker Room. It is one of our, They are one of our sponsors. And I've been using their app weekly about 11.15. I know that's late. Eastern time. I'm in the central. That's at 1015 to go on and talk with people right now. It has been interesting as I've mostly had the chance to talk with a Mets fan and a Brewers writer who is a Oakland fan. So far, I've gotten a few Cleveland Indians questions in there, but go check it out. Locker room. Uh, I 1115 Thursday. I got to email them and get that all set up for the, for the day you're listening, but I can give control to someone else to speak. There is always danger with that. But they can also type questions in, ask me things. There's a chat function. It's currently only on iOS, hopefully soon coming to Android. But check out Locker Room. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I know I've had some coworkers who are doing like six hours in a row on there. They're having so much fun. So go check that out for yourself. Locker Room is the name of that app, and I will be on at 11.15 uh, today, the day you're listening, if you're listening on Thursday. Our other fantastic sponsor is rockauto.com talked about it many times rock auto you know when you go there you don't tell them the locked on sent you locked on indians locked on mlb just locked on of some form but it's a great tool for you to know that you are not getting taken advantage of you go there's something wrong with your car they tell you what's broken and they tell you what's well, going to cost this much and a lot of times they'll tell you like parts and labor is this and now you know you know if you are getting a good deal on parts Maybe not necessarily the labor aspect of it, but you can use Rock Auto to make sure that you are getting the right deal on parts. It's easy to navigate. I don't know cars. I can navigate the website. Great deal. Family-owned business. They pass that savings by having one central location onto you, the consumer. So go check out Rock Auto for yourself. If you can install pieces and parts on your car, it's going to be a lifesaver just in terms of the money you can save. Uh, If you can't, it's still a great tool. Go check it out for yourself. RockAuto.com. Remember to tell them Locked On sent you. Also, if you're looking for 
hot takes and information, go check out Peter Bukowski and the Locked On Today podcast. All the breaking news you need every day. So, weird week. No game Tuesday or Thursday. Apparently the T days of the week are the ones that aren't getting games. Instead, the Detroit uh, three-game series. We already talked about Jose Arenia on on the show for Wednesday, so you know why I thought that that should be a, a game the Indians win. Let's go and talk about Julio Tehran. Now, I said I'd skip over him before because the Indians already faced him, but it's one start. Let's dig into the numbers, talk about what you get with Tehran. And what's really interesting at first glance when I'm looking at his splits data is his fit versus his lefty versus righty, it's almost two runs higher against lefties. Uh, his K rate is two strikeouts per nine lower. His walk rate is like two and a half walks higher. The home run rate is one one a little bit close to about 1.5 versus one. So in other words, he's striking out a lot less. He's walking twice as many guys in terms of like percentage. And he's giving up more home runs. He is, for his career, remember there are points where this is someone who was a strong pitcher for the Braves. Now he's had, you know, some arm issues and other things and just age comes into, I know he's only 30, but a lot of innings in that time, looking at uh, over 1,300 innings. And last year with Atlanta, or Atlanta, Anaheim, it was a year to forget. He had almost uh, a negative one war last year alone and a little more in 31 innings. So the Indians should line up, line up? Nope. Their lineup should be lefty heavy. He is not good against them. Not at all, not even remotely. The more lefties you can get in, the better. And see, here's kind of the problem. I know they like to do the whole balance as much as they can. Now that hasn't happened as much. But whenever you set up a situation where it's lefty, righty, lefty, righty, yeah, that means a team can't go and use a a pitcher who's specifically better against righties or lefties, but often in important moments, teams aren't going to, you know, their best lefty. They're going to their best reliever. Teams aren't going to the guy, you know, if you're in the eighth inning, you have an eighth inning guy. You don't have an eighth inning left-hander and an eighth inning right-hander. You have your eighth inning guy. Uh, and when you're going lefty-righty, it eliminates those opportunities to build up, like I said, Lefties are significantly better against Tehran. It's almost smarter to have your lefties in a row because if he is that bad against them, if you're going back and forth, lefty, righty, lefty, righty, that means you have an advantage, a big advantage every time you have a lefty in. And then, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if I want to go so far to say the disadvantage when you have the right-hander in there, but you're not able to build off that advantage. Whereas if you had like four left-handers in a row or you just loaded up on lefties, then you just have a big grouping. You're going to have all of those guys who should overperform expectations because Tehran can't get out lefties. I mean, that is over 662 innings in his career. He has been significantly worse, and it's not even close how much worse. Like, he's just not able to get them out. He's a below-average starter when he faces a left-handed hitter versus a right-handed hitter. So it's just something else to keep in mind. Uh, we profiled uh, Arenia, like I said, earlier in the week. Tarek Skubal, not going to spend the time profiling him. Nothing against him. I actually am a big fan of him as a pitching prospect. 
He's just a young kid. He's got barely any starts in the bigs. Uh, made his major league debut last year, I want to say. And I think he is a, a great pitcher, potentially. Uh, should be a solid mid-rotation type. Let's see, his career is up to nine starts. And, you know, the Indians beat him up in his first start. We'll see what happens in the second one. But uh, I think he is part of the reason Detroit should be good. They have all of those young arms. Uh, and if you're a fan of Detroit, you're kind of hoping that Mize and Scooble and Manning are just going to help elevate this team. And we will see what happens between them and Kansas City, where Kansas City also has built up this wave of arms. Uh, those are the two teams that are kind of hoping to dethrone you know, everyone. Cleveland was at the top of this division for so long. And then it was the White Sox and Twins kind of fighting for who was going to be next. And as those teams rise up, the thought process is going to be that one of these two teams, as their prospects would come to be, would be in that next wave. Of course, the Indians, with their very deep farm system, are always hoping to, at basically from this point on, compete. I don't know if they're ever really going to be the favorites. For them to have had the run they had, almost every single team was rebuilding. And again, you can't get past that this was a team that, be it through development or luck, it's a little bit unbelievable. You know, Corey Kluber was one of the best pitchers of the last decade. And he didn't really get a chance as a starter until he was what, 27, 28. Carlos Carrasco, I've talked about a lot of late, was a guy people thought should be cut because he couldn't stop throwing at heads. Uh, Bauer wore it as welcome with his first team so much that they traded him. It's, you know, Shane Bieber was the second or third pitcher they drafted. Remember, as Savali, they drafted before Bieber in that and gave him a bigger signing bonus. Uh, it's, again, it's it's development. It has to be to have this many kind of like pitchers who turn into all-star Cy Young level talents who, I mean, Carrasco was a top prospect and Bauer was a high pick, but virtually everyone else the Indians have had is kind of a high-end pitcher, uh, was not. And it's been really interesting. I mean, Danny Salazar was supposed to be the ace of that early core of uh, pitching for them. It wasn't supposed to be Kluber or Carrasco. Maybe Bauer, well, like I said, when Bauer came over, the the shine was off him a lot. Like, he had moved quickly, and there was a thought that he'd for sure be like a solid 3-4. But I remember... You know, a lot of my sim games I was playing at the time always had him turning into like a four. It was not the high-end outcome that he has produced. So it is it is interesting just in terms of no one really knows what to make of it. But the one thing we do know about the Indians, the one thing that we have consistently seen is through, I don't even think it's necessarily advanced scouting or money ball. They've gotten really good and paid a lot of attention to biomechanics and they know how to work with pitchers to increase their velocity to uh, perfect their craft and that's where they've been able to build these teams and while they're never going to be I think again like the high-end curve uh, grouping with one of these teams they're instead trying to be the team that is always fighting for second for the next decade they're going to be trying to be in that spot they are trying to never reload, never fire sale, never tear it down. I don't know if that's going to be successful. I also don't know if it's the 100% the best approach. 
but it is an interesting approach and you do have to give them credit for trying. Uh, there's a lot of teams that don't do that. And, I mean, you go no further than the past few uh, World Series winners and, you know, teams like the Washington Nationals and the Houston Astros were teams that had the first overall pick multiple years in a row before uh, getting good. And yes, the Dodgers just kind of outspent everyone and uh, always were able to sit back and kind of dominate that international market for years and that helped them as well as just having the money to go out and, and sign whoever they want in free agency also tends to be a bit helpful in the long run. So we're going to take another quick sponsor break and then we'll come back talk about all-time sixth round today for the Cleveland Indians. If, uh, you know, sports gambling is your thing, if, I mean, any type of gambling is your thing, go check out our friends at Bet Online. I've gone there and told you that they have reality TV, they did award shows when those were occurring, that they have like poker and casino games and everything else you can imagine over at Bet Online. All of our lines for the entire network come from there. That is where we go, that is where we look for information, for data. Go check it out for yourself. Go to betonline.ag. That is betonline.ag. And when you're there, if you use the promo code locked on, you get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. That's right, 50%, 5 0. Go to bet online for yourself. Check out all the lines, all the future betting, all just the casino games and everything else. Whatever it is, uh, whatever game of chance you might like, you will find it there. Go check out betonline.ag for yourself. And remember to use that promo code locked on to get your 50% bonus. Remember to check out the Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast for all your fantasy needs. Check it out today. So the sixth round is an odd round uh, in Indians history. Highest bonus by far, by far, 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 is Reynel Delgado, who got 900000 back in 2018. Uh, I was a big fan of that draft pick. We will see how it turns out with him. But the next highest player is Ulysses Cantu at 270000 So you're looking at a situation where... The signing bonuses for the second, third, fourth, and fifth highest player have to be combined to equal the signing bonus of Reynel Delgado. It's not been a good round for the Indians. Let's be honest there. Since 1965, they have had a total of uh, 55 players drafted. 10 hit the big leagues from that group. Four of those 10 never signed with the Indians. I did a bit of a tease yesterday that there's two guys at the top and then really nothing else. And unfortunately, both of those two guys at the top never really played for the Indians. Joey Wendell, who has mostly been with Tampa during his time, and Kevin Kuzminoff, who was with San Diego for his peak. They have the exact same war as of now. So Wendell, and that Joey Wendell is going to be the best sixth round pick in team history very soon. Uh, most games played by any draft pick there, I believe belongs, nope, it does not belong to Kuzminoff. That belongs to Paul Baco, who they failed to sign back in 1990. Uh, if you want to know the other names, uh, in terms of war, like I said, you got those two tied. Bill Shear, who they drafted in 76. 96 was Paul Rigdon, so that is your most effective Indians draft pick from this group. The one who actually contributed in his, what, 32 st- games that he pitched for the Indians. Greg Allen comes in next, uh, who was taken in 2014. Eric Wilkins, who was 1977. Jeff Moronko, who was in 1980. Then you have Baco, who didn't sign from 1990. 
Matt Kinzer from 1981, who did not sign, and Jeff Liefer from 1992, who did not sign. So it is a in not a strong grouping. Uh, it's one of those things, I believe when you hit the seventh round, they all of a sudden have a jump. But the sixth round might be the worst round in Indians history when it comes to draft pick value. Yeah, if, for instance, I jumped ahead to the seventh round, I'm not going to give too much away here with this one. There are four players right at the top with wars over 11. So that is a, a much stronger group. Uh, some really strong performers, at least one all-star in there. And But unfortunately, we're not there right now. We are mired in the sixth round of, uh, of atrociousness. So yeah, top two. Your top one's going to be Joey Wendell. He's going to be the greatest pick. Kevin Kuzminoff is next. And the one who did the most for the Indians, I mean, it's either Paul Rigdon or it's Greg Allen. Now, Rigdon only was 32 games to get his .6 war. University of Florida pitcher, by the way. I don't think I realized that before. Greg Allen had 221 games to get .5. So he wasn't as good. It's more spread out, but he, he played for more games with the Indians. Um he might actually be the most games started of any six-round pick or games played of any six-round pick in team history. So when we're looking at the worst pick, this is a little bit more interesting because, as we said, this is really bad. So let's eliminate, in a general rule, four years or more in the minors. And in this case, we're going to drop down to three. Three years in the minors, getting to high A. One of those two eliminates you. There are some players you kind of consider, for instance, Jonas Wyatt, yes, he had three seasons and a year he didn't pitch. Injuries completely short-circuited him, but he never got out of rookie ball. He never left Arizona, so you you consider him, but then you also drop him due to injury. And a pitcher I'm really not super familiar with, Gonzalo Moica, who was a six-round pick out of Teodora Aguilar Mora High School in Puerto Rico. He missed all of... 95 and 97. So I'm assuming arm injuries there. So you eliminate those two guys from the worst pick. The recent guys who stand out, Ben Carlson. Now he did technically get to high A. He played in Lake County, but just two years, 2009, 2010, college player who they were a little bit aggressive with. And he just couldn't perform. Uh, high strikeouts, low extra base hits, you know, only 135 games. Nick, uh, Bartolone, who's always, it's a name I'm never going to forget, even if I can't pronounce it correctly, because he was like the first huge stumper when I was writing up Indians draft picks where I couldn't find anything on him. There was no data anywhere. So to go back in time, to, you know, go down the wormhole, not necessarily go back in time, but to see that they paid him 125000 same with Ben Carlson, those make those picks a little worse, that these guys got six-figure bonuses, and Carlson was there for two years, and... Um, Bartolone was essentially had one full year and then was a backup and let go. Uh, other players that stand out, Andy Robertson, who was at a St. Agatha high school in Detroit. He was, uh, just two years did get to a ball. So we eliminate him, but not a strong performer. Chris Cawthon. Now this is maybe the most interesting player. So, 21st round pick out of high school by the Montreal Expos. And then the draft used to have so many components. So he was a first round pick, 14th overall in the January secondary phase by the Expos. And then he was a third round pick in the June secondary phase 
by the Milwaukee Brewers in 79, then the Indians took him in 82 in the June draft. So 78 taken once, twice in 79, signs with the Indians in 82. And first year is really good in low A, gets, you know, does really well in low A Batavia, New York Penn League rookie ball, gets the bounce up to Waterloo and is out of baseball. And this is a guy who played at Florida State, played at a strong program. When I was doing research on him, uh, his son later went on to go play at FIU as an offensive lineman, kind of just an interesting uh, bit of information. Uh, Dave Landreth, who played at University of Arizona, you're looking at a guy who appeared in just 92 games as a catcher and was out of it. Um, here's another fun one, Ron Sailors. He was in 1970 out of Admiral King High School in Lorraine. It's always interesting when it's the Ohio kids. So I couldn't find anything. Like Baseball Reference has nothing. So I want to give some credit to this site, StatsCrew.com. I'd never come upon them before. But they managed to f- have, for 1970 and 71, golf league data for Ron Sailors. After that, he gets let go and pitches an independent ball for the next seven, six, seven years. So, and then I found an article about like his nephew signing with Cincinnati Christian University. So it's, uh, you know, baseball in the blood there. That was fun. But yeah, the stats crew is a site I'm going to have to check out some more because they had data that no one else had. That's impressive to me. Uh, William Russ. This was one that was interesting just as an outsider looking in. University of Santa Barbara player taken in 1967. First year in the minors, he hit 297, 391 on base, 316 slugging, 706 OPS. Those aren't bad numbers in A ball. That's it. 74 games, 310 plate appearances. 5'9, 170 pound player. That's all we got. He played outfield, and the numbers weren't bad. What happened to William Russ? I'm gonna, now, Roos, I'm going to have to go through and, and find out some more with him. But that's kind of the weirdness with these early early picks in the first few years. Uh, Jamie Traber, who pitched at, uh, was a high school kid. So they try to take a high school kid in the sixth round. He uh, gets 30 games, 110 at-bats in 1971 after being drafted in 71. That's the end of his career. Like, they just did not mess around back then. You got one shot and that was it. It's, I mean, nowadays you get forever. For instance, a player who probably should be in the running for a worse pick is Ulysses Cantu. Second highest bonus in team history. He has gotten up to Lake County, but has been his career. He is a DH, like a nominal first baseman, but it was always like his best tool was his bat. His career OPS in the minors is 619. This is a player, if you're looking, this is the same draft class as like Shane Bieber, uh, Aaron Savali, Nolan Jones, and Cantu. He got more money than Zach Plesak in this class did not get as much as like Bieber or Savali or even Connor Capel. But yeah, he was, uh, that's where he is. And he's never really been a regular, even at the higher level. So that's one of those players that stands out. But I think the winner for worst draft pick has to go to Carl Schroeder. Now the Indians didn't sign him. And I normally don't list a guy who they didn't sign. Uh, he would then in 1976 in the January draft secondary phase, out of the Indians had drafted him out of John Marshall High School. He goes to the University of Oklahoma. White Sox draft him in the 10th round. The only player taken in the 10th round of the January draft secondary phase doesn't sign. Just doesn't pitch. Never plays baseball. Bats unknown. Throws unknown. 
couldn't find anything. So I think at the end of the day, when you're looking at the worst pick, you gotta take the player who just never ended up playing pro baseball in any form that you drafted someone uh, in the top 10 rounds. Yes, you know, you can go later on and someone, if you, you're remembering, maybe I, I talked about when I did my draft series, like Darnell Dinkins, who you might remember from his Ohio State days as a tight end. The Indians tried to draft him as a baseball player out of high school. Things like that. Weird things happen later on in the baseball draft. And this was, again, 74. So this is the first 10 years of the draft when the draft was weird and the minors were very different. But uh, to draft someone who never laces up even in the minors makes Carl Schroeder the worst pick in franchise history. With Joey Wendell being the best and the humor in that, maybe more than anything else, is Joey Wendell, $10,000 signing bonus. Of any player listed, that is the smallest amount by far. Uh, that is the senior sign. That is the El Cheapo. That is to save them money and spend it elsewhere. The second lowest listed signing bonus, Kevin Kuzminoff said 45000 So the two players with the least amount of money spent by far, at least by the players we know. We obviously was probably lower with some of those players in the 60s and 70s, but of the listed players in the last decade, those are the two that got the smallest bonuses, or in the last 20 years, I should say. And uh, it's going to be hard to find a player who's going to get a smaller bonus than what Joey Wendell got back in the day, and he is going to be the greatest sixth-round pick in franchise history. I have been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Indians podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening, rating, and reviewing. And for the next year at least, maybe two, go Tribe.